When things get darkest, we must be our brightest. We must love our hardest. You're listening to Better, and I'm your host, Mark Brand. I deeply believe that everyone has the power to leave the planet a better place than they found it. In my decades of frontline work, I've seen it happen against all odds in the toughest corners of the world. This show was created as a guide to share stories of resilience and hope from the brightest individuals who have overcome challenges we all face to help us all envision and build a better life. Every week, my incredible guests and I will give you access to the conversations we've been having behind closed doors, away from stages, and away from traditional media. Until now, we share this space with the explicit intention to empower you to be your biggest, brightest, most beautiful self, so we can build a better world together. Welcome to Better. Welcome, Mark. I am so excited to have our guest, Mark Groves, here today. Most of you, um, he's a household name. If you care about yourself, about growth, about relationships, he's a teacher. Uh, I like to say that he's a translator of some of our most challenging and beautiful experiences. Mm. You know, I, I really experience you as a conduit to my own understanding and that you're dedicated to helping us really understand love in the context of being human versus it being ethereal or just on pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you really explore connection and communication and, and share with us so we can see ourselves better. That's how I experience you. Wow. I mean, to be experienced that way is uh, at least a mirror of how I desire to be experienced, which is nice. You know, in some level, uh, I mean, I, I feel like the birth of all of our work usually comes, often comes from our own challenges. And uh, I know that's true for you as well. And it's like, uh, you become the teacher you needed. You know, you turn your mess into your message, and so much of this understanding relational thing. I think so. We like inherit relational patterns, and then we think we're broken, not realizing that the patterns are broken. And we spend our lives right trying to figure out what's wrong with me instead of what's wrong with what we're doing and how we're doing it. And that's a huge shift because I think that also causes a sort of revolutionary way of thinking in how we're doing everything in the world. You know. Yeah, man. So that, I mean, I want to just pull that whole thing apart for 44 minutes. But before we do that, if I experience you that way, if I walk into a room and I don't know Mark Groves and you have to do the very comfortable, if you're learned at it, introduction to you, how do you introduce yourself these days? You know, I used to sort of say that the main thing I explored was romantic relationships. I feel there's a huge shift uh, occurring within me, probably due to the shift of the world that you know, I know that the magnifying glass of the things we're not great at is romantic relationships. And I would, I identify as a human connection specialist, you know, because I really nerd out on everything to do with human connection and where it was really focused was on that interpersonal space. But I'm also really fascinated by how we move as a collective, how we, mm-hmm. how that interpersonal uh, relational thing adds up to make community and family and then society and how that dances with culture and it's its own organism and and so i don't know maybe i'm organismic explorer now not to be confused with <laughs> orgasmic explorer which is you know both it does bring some joy exactly exactly <laughs> both are true when i hear you say that it's a it's a reflection for me of integral theory of ken wilber's thoughts of the thoughts of like self other community universe and like those concentric circles that go outwards as your study expands, right? Because you start to experience bigger 
once you've sort of done mm-hmm. the inner work and you're like, oh my God, this is what's what's happening inside me. These are the external influences. This is how I can externally influence. Um, and this is what it looks like. So from watching your natural progression and reading through all of it and learning, it's such a beautiful way to reshape is to say that I am not a finite expert in why. I am an expert in the exploration of humanity. Uh, mm-hmm. And I will continue to learn. And, and I love hearing all like, of those lessons through you. I like that. I might just steal that. I'm an expert in <laughs> exploration of humanity. I mean, that's ultimately what I think everybody is trying to do, is just trying to understand how do you do this thing. Mm. And no one really has, if anyone says they have all the answers, like run, <laughs> run fast. <laughs> because how can you, you know? It's what, right? what makes life so beautiful is always being on the edge of what you know. Oof. I don't want to sit in that for a second. What makes life so beautiful is always being on the edge of what you know. You know, we say developmental edge is way less sexy than saying that. <laughs> right? yeah. I'm working my developmental edges is a lot less exciting after you framed it that way. That hit my heart center versus my reptile brain, right? They're two very different energies. So in your explorations, you know, I want to talk a little bit about uh, about Mark the Human too, because I think one of the things that you shared, which would be so beneficial, this show is called Better. And the reason it's just the one word is like, I think we're all striving to be better and to ourselves, for others, for our community and what you just shaped there. But you had some very specific challenges, particularly in your own interpersonal discovery and romantic discoveries. And I'd love you to share that with us um, as much or as little as you're comfortable with. Yeah, no, I, I've told well over a million people at this point. I'm an open <laughs> book. Uh, and I think that's actually part of the beauty of the work is when you start to live out loud, there's certainly a line between transparency and privacy. Um, however, I think it just begins to humanize the experience. Like when we, what I really discovered in my own relational endings you know, when I was 27, I was engaged. And when I got engaged, which was really ultimately the moment I was taught to want my whole life was get married mm-hmm. by this age, have kids by this age, become a good provider. And when I got engaged to a really wonderful woman, I don't, I didn't want it. And I didn't know why I thought I'd feel different. And, you know, I've really been thinking a lot about this concept of like, s- sometimes the tr- dream you have isn't the dream you had. And, and to allow ourselves to evolve. And I don't know that getting married was my dream rather than society's sort of story that we're all supposed to live in, right? And I thought when I got engaged, everything would change. I thought like the anxiety I had would go away. That And people just told me, I'd go to people, hey, you know, I'm stressed about this, I'm anxious. Oh, you're just afraid of commitment. You're just a guy, don't worry. As if we're supposed to just surrender and like walk ourselves off to prison you know, in marriage and we sort of, <laughs> when you think of the language we use about marriage, the ball and chain, you know, all those types yeah. of stuff. And I thought, well, I think this now of like, why are our relationships not a place of liberation rather than a place of imprisonment? And when I, when I explored my engagement, I started to look up things like, how do you know if he's the one or she's the one? And right. of course it was like, did you mean he's the one, you know, like it wants you to, cause women are exploring this subject far more than men, at least publicly previously. Sure. And I, I just remember being like, I, when you ask friends whose lives are going to be influenced by your exploration, they'll often give advice to minimize the impact on their own lives, even unconsciously. Sure. And when I wrote on a forum about what I was going through, 
I really saw these people as angels because they didn't care what I chose. And that was a really neat thing because then I just got advice. And yeah, it was so beautiful. I mean, I remember I had this one woman ask me three questions. If she left you tomorrow, would you be okay? And I was like, oh yeah, I'd feel relieved. Um, And the second question was, could you imagine what it would be like waiting for her at your altar, whatever your altar is? And I was like, oh, that makes me anxious. And the last question was, um, could someone else love her better? Yeah, that was, that was the hard one. Yeah. I even get emotional thinking about that question because it was the first time that I got out of my own egoic view of it, like how this was affecting me and what I was in pain about. And I realized that me not fully choosing her was not actually what she was worthy of. She was worthy of being fully chosen, of, of someone saying like, without a doubt, you are my person. And it was so hard to turn away from that because she was, she is such an incredible human. And I had to follow my soul. I had to follow the call. And I think so many of us wait until a moment where we have to. And that certainly felt like I had to, because if I didn't leave the relationship, I feel like I would have gotten really sick. I would have gotten depressed. And, you know, it was that that led to the journey of wanting to understand relationships. Because when I left that, I felt like I left a narrative. I left a story that we were all taught to be in. And now here I was sort of kicked off the train, you know, standing on the platform, watching as, you know, life took people away in their jobs and their... And then I just started to ask questions like, why am I actually here? I started, I read the book, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. That was one Mm. of the first books I read in that space. And it was the first time I even thought like, I'm not just a, a dude who needs to provide for a family. Like maybe I actually have a purpose. And I really felt like relationships had been a place where in a lot of ways I felt like I'd been lied to. I felt like I... I was told I had to do all these things. And why, when I chose myself for the first time, did I feel like a failure? Even though intrinsically I felt like I was connected more to myself than I'd ever been, you know? It's incredibly beautiful. And I I can't imagine that there's anyone listening that doesn't resonate particularly with being prompted with those questions. Mm. You know, and thank you for sharing so openly. And I felt you, like genuinely felt you on the other side of that because it resonates, right? can somebody be better to her? And that's, I mean, what that a matter, that amount of emotional resonance on the other side of that question, the love is there. There's no question the love is there if that's what you want for somebody. So I, we're going to take a minute here. And when we come back, I want to hear about what happens. You know, I feel like we're on a page turn. I'm like, does he get the girl? Does she get him? Do they get to have each other? And then also just bringing to our awareness while we speak in the heteronormatives, what we mean, both Mark and I, in these terminologies is everybody in the exploration yes. of our sexuality and our love and the creation of the being that we are, that we are, of course, always inclusive of those sentiments. So we are going to be right back with my brother and the incredibly enlightened Mark Rose. my friend Mark Groves and we were exploring through his story 
the understanding of commitment and being and love and responsibility are all the things that sort of came up for me in the first part. And I'm so excited because of the platform that you have and that you share insight coming from within and then externally is so important for us to have trust as humans in the platform and the million plus people who listen to you, they know the journey that you've walked. So I want you to continue to share that journey with the folks that are with us today. What happens after you make yourself face all those questions from her and from her being the inherent stranger on the forum, right? <laughs> the stranger on the internet who's not yeah. an a-hole like a lot of strangers <laughs> on the internet, uh, an angel, right? You know, and I think that's right. the beauty of the internet is have brought these conversations that we can explore consciousness and relationship on such a different level. Um, you know, those questions, because uh, of course the, the answer to the question, can someone else love her better? I think we can ask ourselves that in any relationship at any time. Can someone else love them better? And th my response to that question was certainly. And then the follow-up question is, do you want to? Mm. And I didn't want to. And I didn't know why. And, you know, on sort of a personal side of that too is like if I'm not fully showing up for her, I'm not really fully showing up for me. If I'm in a relationship that I don't want to be in, really – I'm not serving either of us. I'm not creating right. a space for her and I'm not creating a space for me. And two great souls can be in a relationship and it just not be aligned for whatever reason. And that is one of the hardest things because what was coupled with the deconstruction I, when I left the relationship was this journey of like, why do some relationships last and why do others not? And why do we make longevity of relationship the ultimate goal? which mm. is really fascinating because, you know, certainly um, a relationship lasting is an indicator of relational success, but it's not relational success. I know people who have been together 50 years who despise each other. And, you know, <laughs> we sort of see these memes that say, you know, they have like a picture of a couple quite elderly people and it says, how did you make it this far? You know, and they say, well, we, when we got together, we took commitment seriously. And, I really don't like that meme because it shames the departure. It shames the beauty of the ending. Um, and, you know, I think we're in this revolution, I mean, in so many ways, but within relationship, which is when you look at the history of marriage, we really got married to get more in-laws. There's a great book by Stephanie Coons looking at that. It was so we could travel in greater spaces. You married someone from the tribe next door, whatever it was, it kept rich people rich and poor people poor, and you still see that. And... Mm -hmm. Love really wasn't part of marriage. And here we are today wanting more from our partnerships than we ever have. And I think willing and, and, and able to develop the skill set to do that. But we're trying to use old tools, you know, to create new ways of being and it doesn't work, you know. And I think we could say that's true about how we treat the planet, how we treat each other, how we build community. You know, we keep getting further and further away from the planet and the earth thinking that that technological advancement is the ultimate form of human achievement. And I often think that it may be bringing us further away from each other. Um, right. And maybe, maybe the, not even maybe, I mean, the indigenous peoples, which we were all indigenous at one point to some place, have you know, that relationship and that reverence for the planet. And I thought, you know, as I continue the journey of understanding relationship, it's like, do we have that in our romantic relationships, that reverence, that sacredness? 
And mm. I ultimately wanted to understand, you know, because when you look at relationship, you see we sort of have this hierarchy of relationship. Like if you're married, you're better than someone who's engaged. And if you're engaged, you're better than someone who's dating. And if you're dating, <laughs> you're better than someone who's single. And God forbid, if you're divorced, you're sort of buried below all of that. We ask questions like, why are you single? And all of this to continue to validate one, if your relationship ends, you're somehow a failure. Um, even though that could be your greatest form of liberation and transformation, I've often thought like we should actually be listening to the people who got divorced. They, I remember hearing people say, I would never date someone who's divorced. I'm like, wow, there's someone who turned towards a system and a construct and chose themselves, which means that you're, they're not running to you to choose them. They've already chosen themselves. So they're not even looking to you to heal them. It doesn't mean right. that we can't. Like if you get divorced and you don't clean up your stuff, you know, you can get right into another relationship and repeat the same patterns. But I really started to want to deconstruct that relational endings aren't failures because I really felt like one, but it wasn't true. And I also wanted to deconstruct that your self-worth isn't in someone choosing you. Like somehow the evidence that you're in a relationship means that someone validated that you were worthy of love. Right. And I don't think there could be more dangerous messages, you know, um, because what they do is they infer that in uh, when you are alone, you are, if you buy into those narratives, you're instantly lonely. And, yeah. you know, it is, it's been a journey because I, as I said at the very beginning, you know, it's like, how do you build a relationship that is not a prison, but rather a place where the best version of you is constantly being born, the best version of your partner the reverence for one another, respect, all of those things. And I, I think what's been really fascinating, like I'm engaged now, again, um, to a different woman. And in our relationship, we've just really looked at like our commitment is not to each other first. And that sounds really weird. Our commitment is to truth first. And yeah. what's beautiful about that is there's always space for reality in our relationship. Like, hey, I miss you. Or I feel like, I'm taking this relationship for granted. Do you know what I mean? I do very much so. And I just want to shout out all the divorcees in the right. audience right now. I'm a double divorcee and both of my ex-wives are like intrinsic to my family. They are dear friends. We work through our stuff, but I can't imagine my life having not been with them in a commitment right. space and learning and growing. But all the tropes that you're referring to are the social, social norms like they are so constrictive. And I think even as we listen to you talk about them in this moment, you know, a lot of us are reacting in a way of like, yeah, that's a no for me. Right. And it's, it's a not, it's not a no for me in my, again, my intelligent brain, my reptilian brain. It's a no for me in my body, in my parasynthetic. Right. It's like, that doesn't, I don't feel like I want to be governed. I want to, I want right. to be open. I want to be live in truth. I want to live in and freedom and freedom can be to commit, uh, but it's in a very different space. And so I, I am, you know, of course I've always resonated with your work, but this particular part is I think so beneficial to so many people listening now. So I wanted to double click on it before we continued. And then also to say huge congratulations on your engagement as this you. Thank you. Thank you. It's, you know, it's a it very feels, big deal. Yeah. It feels uh, different. You know, and I feel I'm different. My life is different. My perspective on relationship is different. And one thing that I've really noticed in this experience today of, of relationship is, you know, like one thing that's always true about your partner is they can leave you at any time, right? Like that we just know to be true. That's a fact. When we get married or enter a relationship, we often think that 
you know, we even have vows like till death do us part. And I often think like, what kind of death, like the, the death of the part of you that entered the relationship with a different perspective and a different choice. And can the container of the relationship allow us to constantly be dying, constantly be birthed, constantly? And, you know, I really think when you acknowledge that your partner can leave you at any time, then you realize that they are choosing to be there. And so now yeah. there's this appreciation of choice. And what I love about that, like the commitment to truth first, but also this commitment to like, if my partner is free to leave at any time, if that's what serves her soul, then what a beautiful gift that she is choosing to stay, to be here and me too, right? Like it, it completely shifts the way we see love and the way we see relationship. And it also gives us so much reverence and gratitude that they're in our space with us in that moment, walking this mm. path of life together. And then we might do a little more work. You know, we might put in a little more effort, you know, we might, instead of taking it for granted and, and giving up, we might say, maybe I do need to get better at communicating. Maybe I do yeah. need to, to be able to listen better, you know? Yeah. And all of that letting go that you're talking about in particular is letting go of all of those constraints and then saying, I'm going to be ultra present. You're talking about presence. You're talking yes. about the now. We can't mm -hmm. go backwards. We know that time machine isn't there. There is no Marty McFly. It's not a thing <laughs> yet. And even if it was, I think it might, you know, detract from what's happening because the human experience is in this right now. Right, right We've here. got this. Of course we plan, but it's it, the plans adjust and iterate based on what happens right here, right now. And so in the thinking of the choosing and like this, in this moment, I'm being chosen in this morning, I'm being chosen in this evening, we are choosing each other in this time the finite resource, the beautiful gift we're choosing to give to each other. But that doesn't mean that it's infinite. It doesn't mean that it's next week or next year. And based on my actions and, you know, the, which I'm willing to bring in positivity and support and love and light, that's very different. And I think our vows and the finality of them in a timestamp on paper with legal documents <laughs> and a right. bunch of people being like, we saw this. We saw this. You are now here, right? <laughs> and the, then the failure on the back end. Like I luckily grew up in a space where that wasn't considered a failure. And my parents always just wanted me to be happy, which is a blessing that I know is incredibly rare. Right. But that doesn't mean that the people around me didn't think I was a failure. They were just like, oh, what'd you do now? And you're like, oh, what, what right, do you mean? Right. I'm, you I'm got growing. divorced. Right. Yeah. I'm the person that the person that entered that marriage is no longer there. And it doesn't serve the person that I love so much. Because my path and what I've committed myself to in justice didn't lend itself to the relationship that was going to be the white picket fence. So, you know, really evaluating that and that honesty that you're talking about is super critical. So when we come back to this, I can't wait to dig into some tools because my favorite thing is the Marcros toolbox. You know, there's so many and I've got a bunch saved for the moments that I need them. Um, and so I'd like to dig into some of your current explorations as the human that you are. Uh, and I'm so appreciative of your time. Welcome back. Uh, not just Mark, who I'm looking at, but everybody who's here in this uh, in this beautiful container with us today. And I say that because I think we build these specifically, right? Energetically, I was preparing for our conversation and you and I, I got to share space. You were gracious enough to have me on your amazing podcast. And boy, 
Did we have a good time there? And we talked a lot about justice and we talked a lot about responsibility and we talked a lot about community. And I want to bring it back into how your beliefs around relationship impact that external part that you started talking, talking about. If I'm working on me and I have figured out a partnership or that partnership is with myself, how does that allow me to show up as a better community member, as a better person? Yeah. I mean, isn't it, it, it's so interesting that, you know, I really feel like if we want revolution in whatever we might define that as change, um, you know, and I, I think revolution just being a word for change, it, it must start within and that how that goes from a relational perspective. Like if we look at a family system, a family system, everyone takes on a role and everyone in the family um, adapts in order. And often what I find is that family systems pivot around something that is the truth. Like everyone takes on a role to not talk about dad's alcoholism or mom's rage or whatever it might be. Right. Or their absence or their, the abuse or whatever it is. And so we all take on these roles to survive. And, you know, I, when, when we enter adult relationships, we often enter relationships with the feelings that are familiar, like a longing, like if our parent was really controlling, it might be really familiar to be in a relationship with one, someone who's really controlling. If our parent was absent, we might be in a relationship with someone who's often not available or around. And when we begin to step into our power and what we actually believe we're worthy of, which we are, you know, it's as soon as we start to lay a boundary. And I like to describe boundaries really as being lines that we draw around ourselves. They preserve our wholeness. So, you know, when you draw a boundary, all of a sudden now you have, you're protecting who you are. When you draw a boundary with someone that has never heard a boundary or you've never had boundaries with, they are going to be like, wait, you are changing the structure of our relationships, the agreements of our relationships. And yeah. that's a normal reaction. You know, it's a normal reaction that someone would want to double down on. Let's go back to familiar patterns. If in relationship, we always communicate the same way. And I know a lot of couples, if you ask like, hey, do you fight about the same stuff? They're like, oh my God, yes, it's the worst, you know? And <laughs> that shows you that we have a cycle. And if you look at the way that people communicate, they usually have um, what Mona Fishbane calls a vulnerability cycle. So you might finish the sentence like, when you do this, I do this, which causes me to do this and you do this. When I get upset, you withdraw, which makes me more upset, which makes you leave. And you see all couples have these cycles. And when you decide that you're just going to learn to change how you communicate, there's a great line from Byron Katie where she says, you can't have war with one person. Like if, yeah. if, right? if like one person chooses to put the arms down, you no longer have conflict. And if we change, like if we put boundaries where we never have, if I learn how to communicate in a way I never have, all of a sudden what I'm doing is completely changing the systems of how I operate in relationship. And yeah. that revolution, that radical change of behavior, it's like anything. Like if all of a sudden I decide that I don't want to drink anymore, I'm now around people who still drink, but I still hold the bar, bar and maybe I start to change who I'm hanging around with. And you'll notice that your complete world will change, but not only yours, but the people who might still have challenges with drinking are now challenged by your choice. And they want you to go back because they're afraid that they haven't chosen the thing that's for their well-being too. And sometimes it's easier to keep people stuck with you than to actually do the radical thing as well. But what happens is, is they are forever changed by your choice. Definitely. And I think what's challenging as a human is because 
and you know, I spoke about like love being this validation of you being chosen. Like if someone chooses you, then you're worthy of being chosen. That is the need for belonging, right? The need for someone to say you're enough. When you make a choice and it causes a tidal wave, but you stay in your soul, what happens is, is you might no longer belong to the group that you used to have shared values with. But what you do is you belong to yourself now for the first time. And right. that is weird because there's this sense of hope that occurs within your heart. But at the same time, your biological process goes, I don't belong. Yeah. And I find, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this. I find that what happens then though, is you become a beacon and then your beacon draws you to other people who are making similar choices and have similar values. And then all of a sudden we have a whole new community. And that's why all personal change actually reverberates and spreads out to all the different levels of community and then planet and et cetera. Universe, let's go with universe. 100%, 100%. And he, you know, in response, I chose sobriety five years ago. I own a brewery, a cocktail bar. You know, I ran with a party <laughs> circle. I was an entertainer. I am. I play records, you know, in nightclubs where there is consumption of alcohol universally. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah, very few non-drinkers. You know, I speak at conferences and as you do in places and alcohol consumption is the center of the societal behavior. Right. Everywhere that I go to work, I chef large dinners all over the planet. It's alcohol is at the center of those conversations. It's just not at the center of mine. And so my boundaries around it are very, very simple. When people have left their body, because it's, of course, taking them away from themselves, that's when I leave. I communicate mm. it verbally. I say it with love. I'm very certain that I don't make anybody feel shame or guilt. I'm just right. saying I'm choosing myself because my shadow and my challenge and my addiction will show up if I continue to stay in this and I don't want to hurt me. And by this, by saying this, I also don't want to hurt you. And right. the beacon is absolutely triggered. Like it happens for people. Now you are also going to evoke the shame and that shame can turn into blame and comes right. back your way. Like, oh, what am I not good enough for you is a, is a typical one or what you've outgrown us. You're better than us. You don't like yeah. these things anymore and that sort of stuff. And, you know, as you have the tools, you can engage that one-on-one. -on -one. And I chose to do that like, as a friend and as a family member, et cetera. I choose to have those very hard conversations in the same way that you choose to walk away from a relationship you know you're not in service to, I can choose to sit down and say, hey, I love you. I'm worried about you. My concern isn't my mirroring. My concern is genuine, that this is what's happening for you because I've seen the other side and it's really beautiful and really important. And then the choice is absolutely theirs. I still have some real alcoholic friends and people who are in my world that I love and will take a bullet for. That doesn't change our relationship that way. It just changes that we don't hang out on Friday nights anymore. Right. You know, right. they're still my community, brother. They're still with me. But my community that I spend day to day with looks more like this conversation because my goals are to eradicate poverty. You know, like I have a different right. set of things that I'm working on and I can't work on those things and be having boiler makers and chicken wings every Friday night. It doesn't <laughs> work for me anymore. It's not, it's not my thing. I, I, I feel I the same it? way. Of course I do. Yeah. Oh man, I so, miss yeah. a glass of scotch with friends. I miss that kind of stuff. And yes. what's in I have the same thing as you, you know. It's like I I know the shadow will come. And mm. you know, I, you said something like that leaving the relationship. It's similar to leaving a relationship and I really thought like if we have the capacity to leave a relationship with ourselves. And what I mean by that is 
within ourselves to leave the dysfunctions behind, you know, because really, and I'm not saying this is always true, but it's often true. Overconsumption of anything is really to run from the pain, right? You know, as Gabor Mate says, we ask why the addiction, we really should be asking why the pain. And yeah, I think about when you say no to social agreements, like I haven't drank in almost three years. And what was fascinating for me was my codependency would come up because it was like, what am I going to be like being the only guy in the room or on the guy's trip <laughs> or at the bachelor party or at whatever, where I am the only one breaking this social agreement. And I started to realize like, that's codependency. Like if yeah. I can't choose me in the face of a group, in the face of belonging to a value that I no longer have, then I won't do it in every other area of my life. And I have made that the rudder of my life, which is I will never belong to you before me. I will never ever stay in any connection that requires me to disconnect from me. I will never ever be in a relationship with anything or anyone where I don't get to participate in the terms of that relationship. And addiction doesn't allow us to participate in the terms. And so we must Ooh. walk away. Yo, I got goosebumps on my elbows right now, dude. <laughs> physically showing them to you. For folks at home, you're going to have to trust his laughter as seeing these goosebumps. Man, we have got one more powerful fire hose segment coming. I uh, yeah, couldn't appreciate this conversation more. Folks, stick with us. We're going to be back to wrap up one of many conversations, which is what we said after our first podcast. Is like, we need to do this yeah. more often. I'm restating Agreed. that I see you, I love you, and I appreciate you. We'll be right back. Welcome back uh, to the final part of this conversation, but you know, I believe the door swinging open like a saloon of many more to come. And that saloon pun very much intended because we were just <laughs> discussing addiction, putting the bottle down personally. And I just, you know, I want to uh, recenter us in the fact that we do not carry any judgment for those who consume no. responsibly, who have this as part of their lifestyle. For me, I always say one was too many and a million was never enough. You know, like I don't have the off switch. I don't know where it is or what it looks like. And then it becomes, I am fully my shadow at all times. I operate yeah, from a place same. of my inner child. I am kicking up tantrums all the time. Everything I don't believe about myself is fully present. All of my shadow is there. And that's why I don't personally consume. But I know lots of folks who will swish a glass of rosé and, and be exactly themselves. So just want to make sure that we're not passing judgment. Um, but yeah, if you agree. choose the path of sobriety because you resonate with anything that we've been sharing, um, that we are both resources on socials, you know, check it out. We're talking about it all the time. And so as we come to this last segment, brother Groves, um, what is the current thing that's like, I know you started us with a couple of thoughts, but what is the thing that's really got you excited to the edge of the Mark Groves circle right now? What is it? I mean, I'm really fascinated about what's going on in the world currently. You know, I, I find it very interesting that we have a hard time bringing in information that invalidates, we perceive invalidates our identity. You know, like it's not, you, you can't really disagree with grace anymore. You know, it's like, I, I find this, the process of cancel culture 
very interesting because really, if you look at what cancel culture is, it's a belief that someone cannot restore a relationship. Mm. You know, it's not a belief in reparation. It's actually a belief in exile. And if you look at how communities operated, I forget which tribe it is. And and so I want to apologize for that. Uh, But there's one where I remember reading about this in Francis Weller's work, where the when someone may, breaks a rule or a law, they're sat in the middle of a circle and everybody in the village is to tell them why they're loved. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love that because it infers that community, you know, this idea of, it's kind of like, you know, to bring it sort of full circle back to relationship. It's like when we go out on this journey of life and we go get married, right? And then our, our marriage ends, um, and, and people would use the word fails, which language is important. It didn't fail. It ended. And so you then come back to your group and your group says, I can't believe your marriage ended. Some religions will kick you out of them. Some families will kick them out uh, based on what you choose for your gender, your sexual orientation. All of these things can cause you to not be part of a group anymore. And I mean, ultimately on a biological level, that's the most painful thing that a human can go through. And What's fascinating to me and also breaks my heart, but also, you know, there's always room for hope and change is that is actually the very purpose of a group and family is, is for the person to go out on the mission and come back with information. So what we really should be doing is sitting down and saying, teach me, teach us, Mm -hmm. teach us what you learned. And what that does is it, instead of shaming mistakes, which you know, are at really a lot of the core of our addictions and our choices to, to run from things is we actually welcome them and we actually welcome back the person. And, and what we also do is we help within the community. What we're saying is we are a place of unconditional love and it's teaching the person how to alchemize their shame, how to take their shame and their learning and turn it into transforming who they are. And so a lot of what I've been really interested in exploring is how do we learn once again, if maybe we ever could, which I think we could, how do we learn once again to disagree and do that with love and grace? Because at the core of like, we, you know, we've sort of been talking about from the micro to the macro at the core of a relationship, and we'll just say a romantic relationship, you and I can both experience one moment and experience it very differently because it comes from different lenses, it comes from different childhoods, it comes from different trauma. It comes. We all have different experiences that lead to the lens of how we see the world. So you and I can experience this differently. And what that means is that you and I can have two truths in that moment. And both truths are actually valid. And yes. the ultimate work, especially right now, because we've never been more divided, and I would argue the language of our leaders, especially in Canada, is very divisive, is that... Now the ultimate work is how do we build a bridge? How do we build a bridge of curiosity? Because the same ability for the container, right? This container that is not a prison, but rather a liberating space for two truths to exist, but multiple truths. It's like, how do we do that in community? And instead we are saying, you're this, you're that. And and both sides do it, no matter whether it's political or medical or anything, we're all doing it. But there is a space of gray, and the complexity of humanity is actually in the gray. The complexity of my personal experience is in the gray. You know, and so many of us don't use language. Like, you can be getting married and be both anxious and excited, but we often attach to the anxious, and that means it's not, you know. So 
we have to create space within our own experience. And I think when we can't hold the possibility of two truths within with someone else or the possibility of being wrong, I think it's because we don't have the capacity to hold it within ourselves. Like we yeah. all have conflicting thoughts. We all have conflicting feelings, but we pretend like we don't. So no small task of wanting to explore this, <laughs> but, but I love it. I think it's important. It's incredibly important. And I just want to double click on for folks living at home listening, like what is holding those two poles? And I'll just use another analogy is holding sadness and joy at the same time. Yes. And I think this one's incredibly important. I'm processing multiple deaths, family members, people I care deeply about. And I'm also super joyful in my mourning. Mm. I am in, in presence of their energy that I will carry with me relationally for the rest of my life. It is with me. It has impacted me. It has changed me. It has formed the best parts of me. And so when I say I'm super sad that they're not here anymore, I am, but they're still here. And, right. and often that's hard for people to land because they just want to use, just want to use the brain. Yes. And we have this whole other part of our container that you know, you feel your intuition, your heart centers, all those things that we need to use because these are the tools of how we build this bridge you're talking about. The yes. bridge can't be built with the brain. It has to be built with the rest. We can understand, but we got to feel into it. And when I confront folks with our work and I say, hey, you know, the people I employ, if I put them on paper in front of you devoid of their human, you would never, ever forgive them. You mm. would say, no way. This person is X. They deserve to be incarcerated. But yet you love my programming devoid of the information. Hmm. You love my programming because you actually believe in forgiveness. And we truly inherently believe in forgiveness. We just find it hard to do when our ego and our heart is, is attached. So if it's somebody Amen. else, you're like, oh, of course you can forgive them. But if it's the guy who wronged you, oh, my God, forget it. That guy's a pariah. Like, no, that should be the first person, right. as you were saying, that you dig in to heal. Like, cause you already know that you love them. You already know that you care about them and you giving them the second chance is what we're actually built for. That's the radical love and honesty that we all strive for. But yet you can watch the, now this video and you know, that thing will get 30 million views and be like, I love that guy that I'll never interact with. Cause look how he turned <laughs> his life around. Like, how about the guy right here who needs to turn his life around? Like just, just throw some love in that direction. So I love this current stream of thought for you because ultimately it's a gift for all of us. Uh, if you're not already following Mark, please, you know, all the socials will be linked here. Uh, he not only is able to provide what I find an incredible amount of content, you know, you're acting as a conduit. And as I experienced you at different modalities, as I experienced you six months ago and now, um, you truly are growing into this wisdom and this ability as a sage. And I say that word with all sincerity. And we're very, very lucky to have you uh, to turn to and to look to in this time. Um, so thank you for spending this time with us today too, brother. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And, and thank you for, I mean, such generous and kind words. You know, I one thing you said there that I think is so important in, in your finishing statement, not about me, but about forgiveness, is that I think when we are unable to forgive ourselves, we have a hard time forgiving others. And, and so I think I would look for where have we not forgiven ourselves to, to figure out where the behavior can be modeled. You know. So thank you for welcoming us back into our hearts and, and creating the community that says we don't believe in exile, we believe in restoration. It has to be in action. 
And at this particular moment, I would love for those listeners who have joined us on the podcast and not not on the radio to hear a little bit more of your exploration, if you're willing, around that forgiveness piece, uh, because I know it's been so integral to your learnings as well. And, you know, even with just what's coming up for you right now as we discuss it. Yeah, you know, the <clears throat> my my partner and I, who are in the, the women I'm engaged to, Kylie, we broke up a year and a half ago. And we spent nine months, 10 months apart. And in that 10 months, there was so much exploration. I had so much grief. You spoke about grief just being this, um, that joy can accompany it. And actually within grief can be so much joy, which is really fascinating, right? In, in a way, I think grief and love are actually the same. I, I believe there's a saying, I gosh, I wish I could give it the, the person the credit it deserves, that grief is love that has no place to go. Yeah. And... I think about that of like when we went through our breakup, I loved her so much. And, and, you know, obviously we're engaged now, so I get to continue that, but there, I loved her so much. And it was the first time I'd ever been through a breakup sober. And so I felt everything. And I would say that a lot of the reasons that I ever had a dysfunctional relationship with alcohol was because I never actually felt the grief. And so a lot of the grief that I felt with her was actually old grief too, that I'd never processed. And, Right. That, you know, that we spoke earlier on, on the show about the sort of like allowing yourself to feel all the feelings, the complexity of what it means to be human. And in society, we've said that if you're sad or, you know, you're anxious, then there's something wrong with you rather than the circumstances that are creating the feelings. And that infers that we are the problem, which you know, I would argue also the medical model in the state of those things also infers that we are the problem, that a pill will fix this thing rather than, and right. I'm not saying there's not a place sometimes for that, so please don't misconstrue it. I'm saying like as a baseline, that shouldn't be the response. At a baseline, the response should be what is going on in your environment, in your life that requires transformation. And instead of healing, instead of, sorry, um, covering it up, rather turning towards it, much like we're inviting in people that we want to exile, turning towards it and asking, what is our pain teaching us? What is our depression teaching us? What is our anxiety teaching us? What is it asking from us? Again, none of these behaviors are generally modeled by our communities. And thank God right. for people like you, Mark, who are inviting people back who have been exiled you know, on some level, if not many levels, to say like, we recognize there is wisdom actually in your adventure, in your, I wouldn't even call them failures, in your missteps. But without learning from them, how do we not repeat the missteps even within our own families? And that's why you see from a, a pattern perspective, you'll see the similar patterns behavior-wise in terms of um, like relationally, in terms of addiction, because we've never actually sat down and turned towards what we want to put in a box and hide away. And so my, I mean, it, I look at what's going on in the world currently and I, I really feel like we don't really know what unconditional love is. You know, we ha we're not living it. Um, because to be but able you to- you are. Yes, yes, I'm modeling, I'm trying as best I can too, right? You know, my And you're partner, doing a great job. I want to take us back two steps because there's something I really, like yeah, I please. feel really called and I would never interrupt you otherwise, but I feel really good, called really. and you're- in your exploration of yourself, as you separate from this partner and you're going through the grief, and I heard you say there's some joy in there, but there's really grief. And the grief is also connective tissue back to other things that aren't hers 
right. and they're not yours, <laughs> yeah. but they are kind of yours. And so you've got to figure out what they are and release them before that you can come back together and be the person you want to be. Is there anything in particular you could give us as an example where you're like, this one thing was like a huge, like a knot in a muscle, right? Like I can't mm. walk properly because of this. Well, I can't love properly because this knot is in my heart. Therefore, I'm projecting it to you or it's like reflective to me or it's triggering to me whenever you say X, but I can't communicate that because I haven't explored it. But you got a chance to explore. So in those depths of that, what did you find? You know, I found that I had been chasing relationship and partnership where they just never really fully chose me. You know, I remember Ooh. exploring like, what is it that I've always wanted from a partner up until that moment in my life? And it was for them to just say, like, I'm in fully. And by me and her departing, which, you know, was me choosing to go and her choosing to go, which was really interesting, is I was at a place where I was like, no more. Like, no more will I tolerate ambivalence because I'm not wow. worthy of ambivalence. And she was like, no more will I tolerate ambivalence from myself. And so we went on this interesting journey of like she was exploring wow. – how could I be in a relationship with someone and not fully choose them even though I want to? And I went on to how could I be in a relationship with someone who doesn't fully choose me? Um, and why did I, where did I learn to have such tolerance for that? And in the departure was, <laughs> yeah, like in the departure was this really beautiful uh, coming to wholeness, you know, because like I, when someone says to me, like they left me and they left me devastated, my question is always, what did you give them to take with them? Like what part of you did you say they could take? Because you're never left empty, right? right? Maybe the part of us that we haven't explored or healed actually is left vacant. And in that vacancy is the grief of never having fully chosen ourselves or put ourselves in relational circumstances that are not safe, healthy, whatever that might mean for the, the listener. And I remember sitting by this river in Mount Baker and it was just me and, and, and the, the alpine temperatures. And I was meditating and I saw this uh, butterfly, this white butterfly fly up the river. And I thought to myself, that butterfly doesn't question. Like it's just going to do its thing and it doesn't have a question about what its purpose is. And I don't even know what a butterfly's purpose is other than to be a <laughs> tattoo on some people's lower back. <laughs> but I sort of laugh at that, you know, but I... I remember looking at that and thinking just to myself, um, I remember I just had this hit that said, at what moment did you think you were God? Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I, I feel the emotion of that moment because what I realized is I had been forcing, I'd been forcing relationship. I'd been forcing this being together with her because she is an incredible human and wanting it so desperately to work, but it was the wanting of a child, you know, not the realism of an adult that can look at a circumstance and say, this is okay or it's not, or this is what's required to change. You know, I'm not advocating that you always leave things that don't work. You certainly put in the work, but, but no human can do the work of two, you know? And I think a lot of us, a lot of people try to do that or they identify with being someone who's broken. They're either the person trying to mend or the person who thinks they need mending. And usually those people end up in relationship because they, each person has a role. 
Um, and of course, adulting is really about stepping out of that because those are both child minds. Those are both child processes. And the, the adult says, I will take responsibility. I will show up fully. Right. And when two adults show up in relationship, you have a liberated relationship. You have one that is free, you know, which is totally different. It very much is. And I, I um, was embodying and envisioning the moment of you sitting in the alpine temperatures, <laughs> as I'm sure most were. And I experience butterflies often. So in mm. response to your question, their purpose in my world, uh, in the world of many indigenous communities, is your ancestors are visiting you in a critical moment to bring you awareness um, that you are universally loved, that you are seen, that you're not alone. Uh, I had a monarch, you ready for this? I had a monarch visit me an hour and a half outside of Calgary on a main stage for the Rotary Club in February. What? On stage. On stage. A in monarch. February? And I'm like, in February. In Calgary. In a, yeah, that's. In Cal an hour and a half out of Calgary, out of the city, in a wow. like, community center, you know, like where the hockey yeah. rinks and the, yeah. the theater. And it literally flew up on stage and like was right next. There's photos of it next to my ear. And I'm like, I, I see you. I witness you. I was just so in Mexico beautiful. City. And my friend passed. A really dear friend of mine, Michael Haggerty, who was one of my, my lighthouses, passed away. And I felt him go because we're intrinsically connected when we tune into that. You know, so I felt him let yeah. go and monarch not but 15 minutes later like in my wow. awareness and i'm like is this a time for these butterflies and the folks i was with you know like not particularly and they looked at me like i was crazy i'm like don't <laughs> this is just this is just data this is data i just want to make sure you actually see the butterfly too just yeah, in case yeah, you yeah, give me something yeah. funny with my agave you know um but yeah butterflies and all the wow. other cues of the natural world show up for us so that we can, can mm. land in this way um and our explorations deepen that we're not alone and all of this stuff, all of this weight that we carry and we put on ourselves from capitalism, I'm just going to go ahead and do that. You know, we can remove some of that and say, right. the natural world is part of me and I am part of it. We are literally all made of stardust. That's not, maybe that's science. Right. So to like think about those things and how magical and deserving and beautiful and sacred we are as individuals in everything you say as a distillation is like allows you to show up in partnership, in love of self, in love of community, in love of other, uh, in love of all of us. You know, I think those things, they matter. And looking at these devices, I'm holding a cell phone for those of you at home. This can be such a powerful communication tool, but can also communicate all the wrong messages to us. Uh, and so amen. I'm very grateful, very, very grateful that you show up in the way that you do on this. Um, and it's one of the reasons I still look at it <laughs> and I'm also just super grateful of your time today, man. I, I look forward to having you back and being back with you and continuing yeah. to build this relationship. Um, because I feel every time we talk, I feel seen. I know Same. that so many people are going to benefit from it genuinely in a non-egoic way. It's just like, oh, these messages are so important. Uh, and it, it allows when two people are in conversation about, humanity loving itself and repairing itself, there, there's few more things that are powerful in the world. Mm. I mean, thank you. This has been so nourishing uh, for me. And when I had you on my podcast, I, I felt uh, that same level of, of reverence for you and, and your mission and, and the never-ending mission. You just keep going, man. You got more energy than anyone I've ever met. And you got more balls in the air than anyone I've ever met. You got like 42 restaurants and different businesses. And um, 
I'm really just grateful for the space that you've created. You know, it's, it's modeling the space that we speak about from a romantic relationship, but it's really any relationship that I feel liberated to be me in your company. And, and, um, you know, that's something that we co-create and, and that's available to everybody. And it's available when we give ourselves the freedom to be ourselves. And gosh, we have to learn how to do that because society teaches you not to do that. You know, the Gabor Monte has that beautiful line where he says that we, um, we have two needs, the need for authenticity and the need for belonging. And when, 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 when authenticity threatens belonging, belonging wins till it does not till your authenticity actually brings you belonging. As I said earlier to yourself, not just that, but as you spoke to becoming the beacon, you know, and, and bringing you to other people. And so thank you for creating that. And thank you for having me. And gosh, I look forward to so many more conversations. They will be there. And just so he, I mean, he's feeling this right now. I'm certain it's like tingling. He's a brother and a kindred spirit. He, uh, he and I've spoke together many times and, uh, discovering his stalwart work, uh, around the people that I was, you know, burgeoning to try and be in service to, uh, was an anchor. And I was like, Oh, Never mind, I'm good. <laughs> you know? Right. And as a person struggling with addiction, to have a cosign or a textbook to hand to individuals that love you and say, hey, please read this because I can't communicate this way. And also, there's science in here. Right. And, and I know that science helps heal because it then can take responsibility away from the individual and into the issue. Right. It says, no, this is what's happening. This person actually loves you more. It's not less. It's not that they're abandoning you or you're not enough or that this isn't enough. It's actually just this chemical dependency or a way that they haven't mm. been able to heal themselves. And that's not your responsibility. Um, and you know, we all live with a degree of separation or directly connected to addiction and mental illness issues. You know, They say one in four. I think it's one in three. You know, and that means that all of us are dealing with mental health and addiction issues. We all are. So when we can right. get into this Agreed. this space of sharing and caring of like knowledge and understanding, that imagine the healing that can go on. We can't right. keep losing people to this disease of isolation, right? And that disease of not belonging, um, and because we're all we're all in it together, man. We're all experiencing mm. the big feels, and and if we're pushing them down like a mm. coffee boat, them versus letting them come out in a community that loves us. It's, it's a dangerous place to be. We, we know that. And then again, thank you for your time. Can't Thanks wait for, for more. Me. Stay Thanks super well. safe out there. And uh, we're, we're going to connect for another walk through Gastown soon. Amen. Thank you, brother.